And now, Capital 263. Welcome to Politics and Beyond on Capital 263. My name is Christopher Farai Charamba. And I'm Tawanda Henry Beatty. And yeah, welcome to the best political podcast in the country. Yeah, that's that's what it is now. It's just the best. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether we're the only or not. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are others, yeah? The, yeah, no, by now they should be. If they're not, then people are slacking. Yeah, and uh, today we have a special guest, or I suppose all our guests are always special, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes, we have Mr. Uh, Dad. <laughs> Mr. Tendai. His name is not Mr. Dad. <laughs> we have uh, Mr. Tendai BT with us uh, on Politics and Beyond today. Welcome, sir. Thank you for allowing uh, your time. Thank you for being with us here. We're interested to have some discussions. Thank you. All right. So I suppose, yeah, we can jump straight into it. Um, the issues of the day. Number one is code. Um, you recently signed a document. I think it's Coalition of Democrats. Um, please Congress, do. Yeah. Congress. Is yeah. it co- Congress of Democrats? Co- coalition for Democrats. Coalition okay. for Democrats. Yeah. So please do shed some light on what that's about and what its aims and obje- objectives are. Well, the context of um, code is that um, we genuinely believe that Zimbabwe needs Zimbabwean politics, particularly after the debacle of the stolen 2013 election. We need a, a, a rebirth. We need a renewal of Zimbabwean politics, and we need a new narrative. We need to craft a new paradigm from the way we have done things in the past. So part of that narrative is to create politics that is inclusive and politics of people uh, working together. So the idea of uh, coalitions is one that is as inevitable as we anticipate that it will excite uh, the people of Zimbabwe. So the code project, which was started in, uh, in May of uh, 2014, one which we have been part of, is a major step by Zimbabwean political parties to prove that they can work together because they have to uh, in order to liquidate this heinous regime uh, of Robert Mugabe. Okay, you said, uh, I'll go first to something you mentioned. You said 2013 stolen election. Um, the question there is, how was the election stolen? And how will you, as code, as PDP, um, opposition political parties prevent it now that you said it was stolen in 2013 how will you prevent it from being stolen again in 2018 well 2013 ZANU PF was very sophisticated they graduated from the murder the, the violence the physical visceral uh, crude predatory attempts of 2008 where thousands were, were displaced hundreds uh, killed, some of us were tortured and imprisoned, to a more sophisticated desktop uh, method of uh, stealing the election. So at the centerpiece of uh, stealing that election was, of course, manipulation of the voters' law. And no wonder why, uh, up to now, no one has got an electronic uh, copy of the 2013 uh, voters' law because it was at the epicenter of all the shenanigans that they used, they, they double uh, 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 registered, triple registered persons. Equally, they removed persons uh, from the voters' row. Another shenanigan was, of course, the use of uh, the use of uh, the so-called 
uh, voter registration uh, slip. If you go on the internet, you'll come across a video in which I was involved in, 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 in Mount Pleasant uh, where I, I ambushed two buses carrying persons, Supko buses carrying persons that were clearly not uh, Zimbabweans uh, who were given voter registration slips in order to vote. Thirdly, of course, the use of the military. The military, the military emasculated, the junta emasculated uh, the 2013 uh, election. Then, of course, the dubious role uh, of the Chinese. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a cocktail of shenanigans that they brought uh, in 2013. The coalitions will not stop Zanopia from stealing an election, but coalitions will mitigate, coalitions will give us a fighting chance, and that is why we have to come together to create this coalition so that we begin a proper fighting chance for reforms, because only reforms... Uh, will at least level the playing field, then substantively to excite the, the people of Zimbabwe, to create a coalition of champ champions, a, 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 a coalition of cheetahs, cheetahs the animal. The cheetah is fast, it sprints, it's swift, it's quick. That's the generation we have to create uh, in Zimbabwe. This is what I mean by, by the rebirth of Zimbabwean politics. So two things are essential, two things are essential, and without either of them we'll go nowhere. Number one, a coalition. Number two, uh, uh, reforms. So coalitions are necessary but not a sufficient condition for change. The sufficient condition for change is coalitions plus reforms. So what happens if uh, there are no reforms? come? Because one of the issues is that certain opposition political parties have said they won't participate in by-elections until there are uh, sufficient reforms. There haven't been reforms. The PDP also hasn't participated in any of the by-elections. Um, is it because of there haven't been reforms? And what happens if we get to 2018 and the reforms you want don't happen? Well, I think that uh, the, the attitude and the proper position is not to offer any conditionality. The attitude is to demand a, a, a constitutional reforms. The Constitution of Zimbabwe in Section 67 says that every Zimbabwean citizen is entitled to participate in politics and to choose a political party of his or her own choice. The absence of political uh, reforms in Zimbabwe militate against the actualization and the realization of free choice in Zimbabwe. So it's our right that we demand uh, that there be electoral reforms uh, in Zimbabwe. I don't think that it would be correct to boycott the election in 2018. It's a non-starter. We can't give it for on a free platter to the regime. So we have to increase the cost of dictatorship and we must participate in that election. But in saying so, we are also demanding reforms. So what kind of methods, um, you know, we saw last, uh, last year with NERA demos, um, which you participated in, in some of them, um, for demanding reforms besides demonstrations on the streets and um, statements to the press and things like that. What other uh, methods are you using to pressure the, the regime or the government to um, get these reforms that are necessary? Yeah, the challenge is that uh, the opposition in civic society, they're not coordinated. There's no cohesive, coordinated uh, approach. So if you compare the infantile things that the opposition and, and civic society is doing in Zimbabwe, compared to what Kenyans are doing, for instance, we are behind. What is needed is a cohesive approach in respect of which we unleash multiple strategies multiple actions against the regime. So the issue of mass pressure, demonstrations, uh, petitions, 
is a legitimate form of struggle. After all, it's permitted in our constitution. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a constitutional lawyer. The use of the law to try and effect reforms is also a permissible one. Number three, international pressure. We must go to the, to the UN and the UN Security Council. We must go to the African Union. We must go to the SADC to force this terrible regime to succumb to logic and rationality and, and, uh, and present uh, reforms. But of course, the ZANU is never going to reform itself out of power. So we have to push, just like they, when they were a liberation movement in the push, they took up arms to, to liquidate the colonial regime of Ian Douglas Smith. So, so I'm not advocating for another war, but I'm advocating for, for constitutional force because it's permitted in our constitution. Peaceful, non-violent protest to demand the legitimate change that we deserve as Zimbabweans. You, you spoke about the voters' role, um, and there's been reports that ZEC is about to give up its, um, you know, its obligation to, to procure these biometric voter registration machines or the government is somehow taking over the process from, from ZEC, which is you know, nominally an independent body. Uh, my, under a, my understanding is that government is giving, or Treasury is supplying the funds to ZEC so that ZEC can purchase the machines. Yeah, two, two things. First, ZEC is a captured institution. So one of the demands which we make as PDP in our document called Arrest Agenda for the Restoration uh, of, uh, uh, and the rehabilitation of an electoral agenda. We have a program in there, a section in there called COFI. And COFI stands for Conditions for a Free and Fair Election. And one of the demands which we make is that ZEC itself is captured. So ZEC itself must be liquidated so that we appoint an independent commission. If we can't appoint an independent commission, then the, the SADC uh, or the African Union or the UN uh, must run this uh, election. There's president. Uh, uh, for that. Uh, then, specifically on the question of BVR, biometric uh, voters' role, the agreement that had been entered between the UNDP and ZEC was that UNDP was going to uh, provide resources and, uh, and a, a tender was going to be issued, floated, to invite expert companies who can provide the kits, the, the BVR kits, 5,000 BVR kits, to enable the program to commence in, two, in May of 2017. But because ZEC is captured, the ZANOPF government is coming in and say, we've got the money. How can they say we've got the money when they've got a, a, a budget deficit that is 25% of GDP? How can they say they've got the money when they can't even pay uh, bonuses? How can they say they've got the money when the, the economy is, is suffocating out of treasury bills of 4 billion US dollars? The whole idea is that if ZEC uh, floats an independent tender, then an independent company will, will come in. The company that ZANU-PF wants is Nikuv. And Nikuv, as you know, is, Nikuv is a fascist, Mossad-sponsored Israeli party. That was at the epicenter of the stealing of the 2013 uh, election. And that's why they've come in to pretend uh, they've got money. They don't have money. They're bankrupt. Shinamasa has bankrupted this economy. So you say that... Um uh, ZANPF won't reform itself out of power. Correct. And this BVR situation, the government has already said that they'll purchase and they don't seem to be turning around. What, what ways can you actually compel the government to do this? So is it something that it is just going to be uh, voicing your uh, disapproval of the situation and then you're just going to go with the punches 
uh, government will buy the BVR kits and people will be registered to vote off those BVR kits. Yeah, look, you know, the, 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 your, your, your question exposes some problematic, uh, problematic matrix. The, 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 the problematic paradigm I have in your question is that the majority of Zimbabweans, including you, have got this false notion that we can outsource our struggle to the opposition. We, we, you know, that's not possible. The opposition is as good as the people it purports to represent. And part of the problem is that the majority of Zimbabweans adopt an innocent bystander approach and think that there's a Moses amongst the opposition. There isn't an a Moses amongst the opposition. So all of us, including yourself uh, with your beautiful face, must play a role uh, in... Uh, in the struggle for our emancipation. The second thing is that, I come back to mass action, we need to go into the streets to force the government to hand back to the UNDP and ZEC the issue of the BVR. But since that's no longer possible, let's just resort to what has worked in the past. In 1980, we all voted using the ID card. So let's do that. And if you have taken an ID card recently, you would be shocked to discover that our ID card now has biometric features. It will take you $10 to produce, to buy it, but it will have your fingerprints, it will have your, your, your eyes, and so forth. So we already have a biometric process that is taking place in this country, which is the national identity card. Everyone has got a national identity card. Let's use that for the 2018 election. Right. Okay. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, what's been touted as a grander coalition, um, you know, code is, has a, a few parties, but not everyone, most notably, um, uh, ZIMPF and uh, whatever ZIMPF is now called National People's Party, and um, you know the MDC, uh, yeah, yeah, Morgan Tsvangirai's MDC as well. Are uh, uh, out of that um, of code? Uh, do you see that? You know, anytime soon we might see a, a grander coalition. And uh, what are the, some of the reasons that we haven't seen one yet? Um, or is there perhaps an actual you know strategy behind? You? Uh, you know, um, joining up too early, you know, things like that. Look, history tells us that history tells us that the struggle we, we face two struggles. We face the struggle of decolonization, which is a simple struggle, black and white. It's Manakian. It's us versus white people. That struggle uh, has been fought all over the continent. Ghana has just celebrated uh, 60 years of independence. It was the first country to be independent. Very soon other countries who joined the bandwagon, the Kenyans of this world, the Nigerians of this world, the Côte d'Ivoire of this world, the Senegals uh, of this world, and so forth. Then we've got a second struggle, which is our struggle, which is the struggle for democratization of the failed and exhausted post-colonial state. And history will tell you that between these two struggles, the struggle for decolonization and the struggle for post-independent democratization, the latter is more difficult because the black man is incorrigible. The black <laughs> man is, is predatory. And there's no black man who is more predatory. There's no black man who is more fascist than Robert Mugabe. So this struggle is going to be com complicated and protracted. That's why we need all, all of us to be in fighting in the same corner. So without a grand coalition, without a process where we bring everyone together, forget about it. In, in 2002, they faced another predatory character, 
who is similar to Robert Mugabe. They faced another predatory political party which is similar to ZANU-PF. And that party is Khan. But they came together in August of 2002 when the election was in December of 2002 and formed a, a coalition called the Rainbow Coalition. That Rainbow Coalition removed Kanu and, and, and Daniel Arab Moy. If you go to Kenya now, the Kanu, the original, is gone. Another recent uh, example which we must learn from is, uh, is Jameh uh, in, in the Gambia. They came together after years and years and years of trying to remove this foolish, idiotic uh, despot called Jameh. Only when they formed a coalition, a grand coalition, did they manage to do that. So Zimbabweans do not need a rocket scientist to say that this is the way to go. I call it the arrogance of idiocy. The attempt by some of us to think that you can handpick two or three political parties and think you can go it alone. It's not possible. We are dealing with a complicated, sophisticated, well-oiled dictatorial machine. 15 billion US dollars of diamonds were stolen in this country. I know because I was the finance minister. And trust me, a huge part of that went to oil the machinery called ZANU-PF. Okay, so uh, first of who is part of CODE right now? The, and ni the nine political uh, parties. That include uh, uh, Dr. Makonis, Mavambokusile uh, Don, Dr. Dumiso Dabengwas, Zapu, Comrade Gilbert Zikitis, Dari, Farahimbiras, Zunde, the PDP, uh, and other parties that have joined. So there are nine of us. Okay, and I assume you're going to continue engaging with other political parties moving forward towards this grand coalition that you say is very necessary. We are, we are engaging uh, other political parties, uh, in particular uh, Dr. Joyce Mujuru, now leading uh, the NPP. Who leads the coalition, this grand coalition that you've spoken of? Because this is one thing it's that... A, it's a coalition of equals. So at the, at the present moment... The code uh, constituting document is a formula where there's rotating leadership, rotating chairmanship for, for two months uh, each. So, so the leadership is rotating. But, but, of course, but of course, your real question is who is going to be our presidential candidate? We will, uh, we will uh, select uh, when the right comes, but we, we all accept that we are equals. And, and for, all, for any one of us to join code, we are to accept... Uh, we have to accept a, 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 a test, and that test is, are you prepared to accept another person as a leader other than you? And we all do. All we want is to put Zimbabwe first and let the best men and women lead us in 2018. But at the end of the day, you're going to come up uh, with uh, up against uh, Morgan Shangirai's MDCT. Um, he, from previous elections, has the biggest opposition political party in the country. And I don't think, in my own personal capacity, anyone can win the election or beat ZANU-PF without his endorsement or without him being the face or without a component of MDC, whatever it may be. How do you navigate that situation? Is he somebody you think that can be the candidate, the presidential candidate, seeing as you were once part of the party and you, and you then left and walked away from the MDCT? The point I'm trying to make is that let's form a grand coalition. So everyone must be on the... Uh, everyone must be on the table. Um, what, what I don't accept is uh, what I don't accept is uh, the idea that uh, anyone has got a, a predetermined, divine entitlement to leaders. That doesn't exist. That that is fiction. So, while we're still on coalitions, um, 
one of the ones we had here, we had Mr. Meliso here, Honorable Meliso, who is an independent candidate, and was saying, is, are these coalitions true coalitions in as far as that you seem to have, you know, a section of the war vets are out of ZANU-PF right now, they haven't endorsed the candidate, um, they're civil society, they're activists, they're, you know, independents like himself, um, who don't seem to be being considered in this matrix or this um, considerations of coalition politics. And what I would like to think is that if it's going to be a true coalition, it's not just about political parties. It's about your activists, your, your advocate, my areas, your, your Patson, Dr. Patson Zamaras, your, you know, your, your Pastor Evans. Um, these are all players that um, some of them already have processed political you know, desires. Um, some of them might not necessarily have a political home right now and uh, are looking to, to, to make an impact. Like, you know, Dr. Patson has been talking about running an Eiffel West, um, which was uh, currently psychology, uh, honorable psychology seat. So is the coalition looking at more than just, uh, in terms of partners, at more than just, uh, at, just, um, at just political players? You know, you have your, 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 your trade unions. Um, these people all have constituents that they could lend support in, in terms of having a true, vibrant coalition. Have, has that been considered at all? Yeah, I, I've used three things. I've, I've stated three things. The first one is that we need to form a grand coalition. So a grand coalition is a, an organic, a collective, inclusive association of Zimbabweans in business, in labor, in, uh, in, uh, in the church and so forth. When the MDC started in, two, in, 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 in 1999-2000, that is what, in fact, we were. We were a collective, inclusive, uh, mixed Salad of every Zimbabwean who was tired of the status quo. Now it's time to go to the drawing board again. And, and, and this is why I used the second word, which I want to underline, the rebirth of Zimbabwean politics. So it can be a rebirth if you are going to see these old same people who have been losing elections since uh, 2000. So we expect a Jamuka to be there. We expect a Van Mawariri to be there. We expect Fadzai Mahere to be there. We expect new faces. So, and if I we were to have my way, I would like to see 60% of the people taking up the candidates in parliamentary seats for this grand coalition being youth and, 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 and young girls, the future, because the future, they are the future. Let's give them a chance in 2013. I've used another term, a coalition of winners, coalition of winners. That means that we must reach out to the, to the huge uh, diaspora population that is outside Zimbabwe. The young, brilliant minds that you find in, in Washington, D.C., at the, at, the, at the World Bank, at the IMF, at uh, the U.N. in New York City, in New York, at, at uh, the, U, the WHO in Geneva, in, in London, in Southend, in Sydney, in Canberra, in, in South Africa, and so forth. That is what I mean by a, a renewal and a rebirth. So if you listen carefully to what I'm saying, I'm, I'm making the point that we have to have a rebirth of Zimbabwean opposition politics. And we can't uh, put on the forefront people who are now specialists in losing elections. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, one of the issues that I like to keep coming to is uh, the one of ideology. In the sense that a lot of uh, young people, myself, I'll speak for myself and some of my friends that I've spoken to, have said that they are political party, they are interested in politics, they might be interested in joining political parties, but they can't find something that they can fit in ideologically. Um, ZANU-PF it doesn't appeal to them. And then on the opposition side, the, ideolo the ideology seems to be Mugabe must go and nothing else. So what is the ideology of PDP, of code, of this rebirth? When you say, if you were to lead this new Zimbabwe that you're talking about, 
what would the ideology be? How would you um, action this ideology in terms of what it then, how it then affects the people of Zimbabwe uh, overall? It's, it's a very key question. You are right to say that our, our, our politics over the years has been atrophied, killed by two mantras, Mugabe must go and Mugabe must, uh, must stay. So part of the rebirth which I'm talking about is to rescue, is to salvage our politics from the wreckage of this binary, Mugabe must go, Mugabe must stay. And in, 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 in salvaging that, we have to talk issues, we have to speak fundamental issues. What is our vision? Yes, I'm ideological, I'm, I come from the left, PDP is a social democratic uh, party. But we need even to go beyond ideologies, because at the end of the day, ideologies doesn't put bread on the table. So what I'm more interested in is delivery. What is the delivery? What is the vision? So in, in what I strongly believe in, and what we believe in PDP is, is a, a transformative democratic development of state, a transformative democratic development of state. So I want to touch, begin by development. Zimbabwe's GDP is around 10 billion US dollars. That is what it was 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, the economy of Ethiopia was about $5 billion. The economy of Ethiopia right now is now $61 billion US dollars. So in, 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 in a space of 20 years, they've grown their, their GDP to $61 billion. I strongly believe that with the right men and women running this government, in a space of 20 years, you can grow our, you can build a $100 billion GDP. I, I, it can be done. In the GNU, in 2011, we, we had a growth rate of 12% per, per annum. And the average growth rate of the GNU when I was finance minister was 7.5%. So if you add 10 billion and put a factor of 7.5% or 8%, you can see that we can easily do it in 20 years. So that's development. But that, this development has to be inclusive. This development has to be shared. But I think then democracy speaks for itself. People must have a right to choose. But the aspect that I really want to concentrate on, which I think is so key, is the transformative one. Because the biggest damage that Mugabe has done to us, it is not the infrastructure that has collapsed, that we are now the portable capital of, of sub-Saharan Africa, with great respect <laughs> to the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is not railways that have uh, gone down. It is not GDP that is crippled. The biggest damage that Mugabe has done is to our, our value system, our Ubuntu. Most of you young people now think that Philip Chiangwa is a hero, that Jinimbi, who has white parties in Senton, is a hero, <laughs> that Wikino Chivayo is, is a hero. That's the damage that ZANU-PF has done. How do we salvage this? We need transformation. We need restoration of, of the social contract. We need belief in the dignity of hard work. I, I work so hard, but, but those that I work with in my office don't work as, as much as I do, but they should work more than I do because I've got a house, I've got a car, and so forth. So we need to restore the dignity of hard work, which is in the preamble of our constitution. So transformative democratic development of state is a vision. And ultimately, ultimately, all we want is the vision. And the young people ought to buy this. It's the pursuit of happiness, as Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote uh, in, in the American Declaration of Independence. People must just be free to pursue happiness. And happiness means the, the, the profession you want, means the house you want to live in, 
means the car you want to, to, to drive in, means the farm you want to drive, means the tractor you want, the pursuit of happiness, freedom to pursue happiness. That's the vision that I have. And I, I think uh, young people are shareholders in this vision. Okay. Um, you spoke uh, about the GNU. You spoke that you are the finance minister. And I'm going to go to, on to a question about the economy. Um, you have had less than kind words for Minister Chinamasa. He's uh, incompetent. And <laughs> he's proof that a peasant can run an economy. <laughs> you can take a peasant from St. Faith and think he can run a sophisticated economy. Okay. Uh, stock exchange. Let, me, let me go to the question in the sense that during your time as finance minister, um, a lot of the issues in terms of externalization, I think, were from have have been going on during the GNU time. In 2012, you said that the banking situation was a voodoo banking, where Zimbabweans have been subjected to high interest rates on loans and total absence of uh, interest on deposits. Uh, during your 2013 budget, you said the same problem of high bank charges. You said banks were making 55% of their income from non-interest income, which is um, charges. charges and that yes. sort of thing. Why didn't you change things then? Why didn't you stop banks from uh, doing what they're doing? Why didn't you drop the charges? Why didn't you stop the withdrawal limit from 2000? Because people were able to withdraw 2000 US dollars a day. Um, is this not, are some of the problems we're seeing now not part of your failures as well when you were finance minister? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You, you, you see, the, the problem with Chinamasa and this government is that they don't understand the economics. And economics is a science. It's a science, the study of, uh, the study of human behavior. So, so, so we have a problem in the banking system right now. And the problem we have in the banking system is that there's no money. You can't get your money out of the banking system. And this problem has been caused by a government... That did three things. The first one was that it stole a RTGS balances, Nostro balances that were kept at the central bank. Uh, that's its first challenge. So they physically went and, and carried out a bank heist and stole money, US dollars, that were kept in the, in the reserve bank and in the, in the Nostro accounts, RTGS and Nostro accounts. The second thing that they did was to impose control they, they, they moved to a regime of dirigism, controls when in a, in, a, in a space of scarcity. In 2009, when I became finance minister, there was less than 200 million U.S. dollars in this country. The total bank assets were actually U.S. 250 million dollars. By the end of the year, broad money supply in circulation in Zimbabwe, M3 as economists will call it, was $2.5 billion. We attracted that money by saying, you bring your, by liberalizing, you bring your money in this country and you can take it out. Now, the minute that someone feels that he can't take his money out, then you begin a whole shenanigan of externalization, the whole shenanigan of uh, uh, transfer pricing uh, and, and, and so forth. And that is the shenanigans that you've been uh, seeing. What needs to be done, and this is, the, this is the last scene, they've also killed the productive sector. They've imposed so many taxes. They've imposed so many statutory instruments, SI-64 of, of, 20, uh, of 2016. You can't import uh, certain things uh, in the country. A few weeks ago, they'd raised the price of, uh, of, uh, of VAT on certain basic commodities. And there's another notorious law that we, we don't need, uh, the Indigenization Empowerment Act, which says in Section 3 
uh, any company, uh, you need 51%, even if it's a foreign uh, uh, company. So the net result is that they've brought absolute disaster in the, in the, in the economy. And I think one of their biggest challenges is that to run an economy, you have to have discipline. So if you are earning $2, you must spend $2. If you earn $2 and you spend $100, you'll be in jail. Someone will imprison you for someone for civil imprisonment or a fraud. Now, this government believes that money grows on trees. So right now, as I'm talking, they've issued treasury bills of $4 billion U.S. dollars. Their budget deficit is 20% of GDP. Their domestic debt is 33% of GDP. So there are people who just believe you can spend, 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 oblivious to where the money comes from. I used to have serious meetings with President Mugabe when I was in government. And it hit me that although that this man has got a degree in economics, he has got a problem because he actually literally thinks that money grows on trees. <laughs> I call that a disease, a, a fiscalitis. And fiscalitis <laughs> is the assumption that you can just spend, 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 oblivious to where the money is coming from. And that is the problem of Chinamas. That is the problem of Zanopia. Back to this, um, you said this liberalization, uh, people must be able to bring their money in and take it out. That's one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that uh, Dr. Mangujga used uh, as his reasoning behind uh, the introduction of bond notes and, and the scarcity of U.S. dollars on the market. Uh, you know, you were saying that people were essentially were now using Zimbabwe as a, a place to come and collect U.S. dollars, particularly in the region. Um, especially when the U.S. dollar had firmed up, uh, firmed up internationally. So you were saying, uh, you know, in fact, uh, at the meeting in the Reserve Bank, it was almost, you know, casting aspersions on the fact that we're too liberal and we're allowed in financial, international players, uh, financial institutions, and even individuals uh, to, to, to take out money from the economy. Uh, and that's what led to the shortage of U.S. dollars. I... That's, that's, that's mid-economic theory. It's not as if that, it's not as if, we have got a dam like Kariba, where a foreigner can just come and pick U.S. dollars and walk out. U.S. dollars that are in this economy are end. So if you are going to get a U.S. dollar from this economy, you would have created value. You would have either sold a service, provided a service, sold an asset, or went to the mines to produce. So the money is actually end. So it's a fiction that a foreigner can just come in and take money. It's not possible. To take money out, you'd have to earn that money from a productive sector. I'm a lawyer, I charge after I've gone to work. There are miners who go underground and get platinum out. That's how you get money. There are farmers who go into the fields and sell their tobacco. That's how you earn money. So all money is earned through a process of production. The application of labor to capital is, 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 is Karl Marx would say. So that's a fiction. That's a, that's a fiction. Why did it work in the four and a half years I was there? It worked in the four and a half years because we do three things. Number one, we allowed people to work. We gave incentives for people to work in the industry. It's not in speculative industry. So we, di so we didn't give room for the emergency of, 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 of really dealing uh, capital, the likes of uh, Wikineo Chivayo. Number two, <laughs> number two, we ran a very tight fiscal uh, uh, schedule. We were disciplined. My favorite phrase during the GNU was, we eat what we kill. So you can't kill a rat and have the party as if you've killed an elephant. It won't work. There will be disequilibrium. Number, number three, we allowed people, we allowed business to, to, to do the business it does best, which is to make money. And government kept away from, and this economy grew by an average of 7.5%. In 2011, 
Zimbabwe's economy grew by 12% and we're the highest growing nation in the entire universe, in the entire world. And we were recognized for that by, by, by being named the best performing uh, finance ministry uh, on the African continent. That's not an accident. But I mean, is it not ridiculous that people could still withdraw $2,000? I mean, no one, uh, nowhere else in the world can you go, could you go to an ATM and pull out $2,000 from the ATM? I mean, you, yes, it's, it's, it's your money, but it's your still. Money. It's your money. But isn't, isn't that a gateway for people then, the people who wanted to launder and externalize and that sort of thing? I, I keep on making the point. I keep on making the point that no one can just come in and take money from here. It has to be earned. The money that is sitting in people's banks has been earned through a process of production. So don't believe this myth and fiction that someone can just come in here and, but, and take money. It doesn't happen. But then at the same time that you earn it, 55% of, uh, of bank income comes from charging you. So it's all, it's all going a, to charges a, as well. Which that's, you... a, that's a separate thing. Firstly, firstly. But it's something we, you didn't fix. Yeah, yeah, let, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. I, I did fix it. It's not a problem at all. We have, got, we have got the majority of people in Zimbabwe earn a very small amount of money. The average teacher earns 400 US dollars. And the, there are 190,000 school teachers who are in grade E. They earn 400 US dollars. So when you so so you can't save when you earn four hundred US dollars, your marginal propensity to uh, to consume is higher when your income is is lower. So someone who earns four hundred US dollars will spend that money immediately, but someone who earns hundred thousand dollars will hardly uh, touch that money. That is what is meant by your marginal propensity to consume is higher. So the majority of incomes in this country are very low. They are extremely low. The interest rates were high, not because government legislated. They were high because our banking system was starting from a lower base. So in order to attract foreign money, in order to attract investors to bring their money here, they had to offer margins so that that money could, could come in. So, so by the time I left government, there was $5 billion US dollars from $250 million that I had started, which is why in, in, in December of, uh, sorry, October of 2012, the Reserve Bank governor, through Dr. Gono, signed a memorandum of understanding with the Bankers Association where they reduced the bank charges and interest to a maximum of 10%. It had to be gradual because if we had done that in 2009, no money was going to, uh, to come in. So don't believe in the fiction that you can get 2000 How many have got $2,000 in their bank? And so how many are going to withdraw it? Very little, very little. Don't believe in fiction by people with a mediocre, half-baked understanding of <laughs> economics. Okay. Um, moving on from, from economics, uh, you know, you've been in the news more for public interest litigation than, than, uh, than politics or economics recently. Um, child marriages, um, the death penalty, and, uh, you know, recently everyone's been talking about, you know, this corporal punishment thing, um, which I'm sure everyone's had ad nauseum. So you can touch a little bit on the corporal punishment thing. Um, you know, you know what Zimbabweans are feeling about that. But my real question is, what's the future? What's the next, what's the next one now? What are you looking at challenging or testing the constitution next about, um, you know, and is this really more important than any political economic work that you've done? I'm a lawyer before I'm anything. So, 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 so what we are doing is we are, we are, we are, we are, we are leaving a footprint, a permanent footprint. The idea is not to practice the law and, and, and ensure compliance. The idea is to use the law as an instrument of social change. And that is what we are doing. 
So what we have been pursuing we are these, you know, you know, important things protecting children's rights, protecting uh, women, the child marriage case, uh, protecting prison rights. I've been, I've been, I've just come from Chikurobi. So I'm trying to abolish a capital punishment. I don't believe anyone should kill uh, anyone. But the, the real work which I'll be doing uh, this year is uh, social rights, social economic rights. So at the present moment, I've got a major case which I'm doing uh, involving some squatters, people who moved in on a farm in 2000, sorry, yeah, in 2000 when the land reform uh, began. They are now being chased away by rich, uh, fed uh, land barons. So I'm trying to argue that, uh, that there is a right to housing in the constitution and that the state has got a right and duty to provide housing. I'm also going to bring a challenge very shortly on the right to, 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 to health. I believe that the state should be able to provide free health, particularly to chronic diseases like HIV, AIDS, like cancer, and so forth. Also, the right to education. Millions of Zimbabwean kids are being sent away from school because their parents can't afford, and the ZANU-PF government has collapsed BIM. So I'll be bringing a court application to, to challenge and to, 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 to seek the full realization of the right to health. I'm also, I'm also doing a lot of uh, electoral things. And at the present moment, I'm working with a group of diasporans to bring in an application in our constitutional court to seek an order to the effect that the diaspora can also have the right to, to vote. I've just come from prison, Chikurubi. It also hit me that prisoners, too, have got the right to, to, to vote. So I will consider uh, filing that, uh, that application. Uh, public interest litigation uh, is, is, is very difficult. It's extremely difficult. If you take this uh, corporal punishment in the home, the issue is not about beating a child. The issue is about the rights of a child. The arguments that I'm seeing against corporal punishment are pedestrian arguments. I've got a right to beat my child. It's no more discipline. There are some who sing into the soft, sophistry of a Bible, spare the rod. Unless someone convinces me that there is a standard objective yardstick of beating a child in the home, that, uh, well, if you, if you pinch his ear, then that's good enough. But there's no objective standard. We provided evidence before the court, evidence, empirical evidence, of children who have been killed by their parents out of assaulting. We provided evidence of teachers who had killed their peoples. And one of the things that is not coming out in the reports is that we sued as respondents in this uh, case, we sued as respondents the Minister of Justice because he's responsible for the Constitution. And the Minister of Justice in this country is not just an ordinary person. He's also, the, he's also a vice president who is very hungry to become the next president. We sued, uh, uh, we sued uh, the Minister of Education. Those two persons as respondents filed papers before the court that said we will abide by the court's judgment. In other words, they didn't oppose. But these are people with so much experience and elected people. So we will continue pushing the boundaries uh, of the law uh, in public interest uh, uh, litigation. Our constitution is very young, but there are so many things that need to be uh, tested. And in the law, we are definitely uh, going to be doing that. All right. Okay. Um, I think we've had quite a, a full discussion and our very a lot to digest <laughs> yeah it's our time has gone by quite quickly but uh one last question before we wrap up is um i know you're an arsenal fan 
and I know that you are <laughs> I know that you are Mukabe out so I just want to know Venga in or Venga out Venga out <laughs> even my dilemma I don't know who is worse now Mukabe in the way <laughs> <laughs> right, right, thank you uh, you've been listening to Politics and Beyond on Capital 263 my name is Christopher Farai Charamba at Chris Charamba on all social media and I'm Tawanda Henry Beatty at Henry Beatty on all social media all right thanks guys cheers and now, and now. Capital 263